Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, also from the Next Real. And you guys, for those of you who were on the edge of your seats like I was, when the clock counts down to zero, it's not a cake. Wow, that was a big disappointment. This minute, that was a I will big say. disappointment from last week, I and I just want to set everybody at ease. It's not a not cake. a cake. It's far worse. That's right. Today we are talking mm-hmm. about minute sixty-six, which begins with the self-destruct timers hitting zero, as Pete alluded to, and ends with Doctor Zola grabbing for the catwalk controls. Joining us on the show today, we have returning guests Andrew and Joe Dorowski. Hello, you two. Thank you for having us on. Hello. Uh, we are thrilled to have you two back uh, for yet another season, another chance to talk about Marvel and, uh, in this case, Captain America. So, um, so Minute 66, we're coming in on this. <laughs> it, was, it was quite the cliffhanger last week as we ended on two seconds. <laughs> and it took <laughs> us a whole weekend to get to figure out that, no, it's not a cake, but in it's fact, not a cake. the factory. <laughs> it is emotionally dispiriting. I was not ready for that. Not even ready for that. <laughs> The factory is blowing up. How does this play for the two of you? Um, seeing that, I mean, you know, we, we've got this, this, you know, Hydra factory that they have, it's full of weapons that they're building. And with a flip of a few switches, Smith's like, nah, I'm just going to blow it all up. How does that work? I mean, I guess like it, it makes a ton of sense from a, uh, what, what kind of perspective from like a military intelligence perspective? Like they're destroying the what the evidence or whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. Like we can't we can't let them copy our advanced technology. And in his case, he's like so convinced that he's the superior scientist. That he's like, no, this is this is my technology. I cannot let it, you know, be discovered or fall into the wrong hands. So it's either mine or it's dust. Very much so. This is the all or nothing binary thinking uh, authoritarian, uh, also guy who wears a flesh mask. Kind of thing. <laughs> we don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. But don't we get a little tease of it this, this minute, Just, this very his, minute, Andy? His, his face is a little loose <laughs> where something's going on. Well, it could have just been a really damaged eye. I mean, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> One super soldier punch just ripped the flesh. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, I think for the, like the whole explosion thing, um, like just from a pulpy adventure sense, the little clock with the, the flip numbers going down uh, and then leading the explosion. That's great. I don't know that we needed it three times in a row in quick succession <laughs> to start off the minute. <laughs> um, I, I think when you're in a military complex, once you set off one explosive, I, the audience is fine if like multiple explosives <laughs> just start to go off. I know this goes into a previous into a previous week, but is it weird that he had to like initiate like five separate countdowns yeah in sequence it's no, like it was, it was more it was more like eight to twelve I, I like there were a lot of switches like why yeah. i just want to blow up this one <laughs> middle portion of the factory in five minutes time i'm just gonna do countdown clock number four no that's not a thing uh, everything else is yeah. fine it's but this one it's like i i think it was always going to be all or nothing like i like the the methodical like in sequence of it all but it's also like okay also, like, it doesn't blow up the whole factory on the countdowns. 
No, no. Like, it just starts explosions. Well, it starts explosions, and it, I don't know, my sense of it, it never really is designed to, like, bring the entire thing down. Like, you know, it seems like the intention is maybe just, uh, I mean, as as you were saying, it's the intention is to destroy all signs of the munitions and everything that they're working on inside, but they don't really care about, you know, the, the, you know knocking this entire, entire factory to the ground. It's a factory. It's yeah, like, yeah, I mean, you, you have to keep the catwalks up in case you have heroes standing on them. <laughs> or villains. Heroes or villains. Yeah. Everybody needs a fair <laughs> chance to escape. <laughs> if you're still escaping. Well, that, that's a matter of point of view. <laughs> that's true. I hope they look at this and they say, our timers need an adjustment. We did not have enough time to get out of this building before the explosion started. That that countdown was off by several minutes. That's that was another question we had in those previous minutes. Why seven? Was there something specific about seven that he's like, we can do it in seven? It's going to really make the men work harder. They, they ran drills. I'm like everyone, go, go, go. We're, we got a little stopwatch. Okay, it looks like six forty-five. Everyone's out. Let's just make it seven. We'll be good. It, it should have been ten. <laughs> well, it was maybe it was ten minutes. And when he told uh, Doctor Zola in the previous uh, set of minutes. Uh, I want everything done 60% faster. Uh, maybe he said, well, I guess that means the countdowns too. Let's, let's wind those down to seven. I never made that connection. Andy, that's brilliant. Everything is faster by a percentage. That's so great. <laughs> it's just, oh my uh, goodness. It's crazy. I, I also was wondering though, like, I mean, we're not seeing any of the troops. I guess all of the troops have gone out to the compound outside to battle all the escaping POWs, the Howling Commandos and all of them. Uh, but I mean, but I was thinking there must be some other people like, you know, the 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 accountants and stuff like the Hydra accountants, whoever it is who's doing like. The, no, the ones who are still there, no, the, the ones who the, couldn't make it in seven minutes. Well, that's that's my point. Like the rest were and, able to get and, out fast. And enough. from his perspective, if they couldn't get out in seven minutes, they deserve <laughs> they deserve to be incinerated. Why would we want them alive? Such a strange system. Um I don't know. Maybe a lot of people are doing remote work. <laughs> he, he pioneered remote work during World War II. That was his, his major innovation. And just nobody talks about it because, you know, you don't want to you don't want to reference Hydra when you're talking about the, the great things that they. Precisely. <laughs> the trains were really on time. You know, Hydra really had a, a tremendous innovation here. <laughs> we're going to take advantage of it. <laughs> Awful. So another question I have about all of these explosions, a lot of this stuff presumably is, you know, I mean, we saw them building, like incorporating this Tesseract technology into the bombs and stuff that they have down there. We saw those wheels that, that were full of like those little Tesseract uh, energy cartridges. Uh, should there be some blue explosions down here? Do you feel like it's odd that we don't see any sign of like Tesseract energy going up in the in the explosion? Any thoughts on that? That definitely would have that made that more feel more distinctly, um, you know, Marvel superhero explosion happening here rather than um, generic World War II pulp hero uh, explosion. Yeah, I, I guess the implication is like they got all of the, the special tech out mm. and then they're just blowing, blowing up, you know, essentially like the housings, you know, where the where the battery would go in. Yeah. So none of the blue goo is actually being exploded. But it would make more sense for there to be some some blue effect to it. I've got to say, I think the explosions do look fantastic, right? Like, I can tell that they're miniatures when I'm looking closely. But, like, they're really blowing up, you know, cheap plastic junk. Right. And and that has a, a nice texture to it, which I don't know the last time we saw, like, a miniature actual explosion in a Marvel movie. It's probably all CGI at this point. And so, like, having 
you know, actual tiny debris is really affecting in this. It does give it like a, a, a texture. And then if you throw in the blue, then it would like that would be immediately a CGI effect. And that would kind of undercut the. Yeah. The 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 I don't know, the feeling of this sequence, like it feels very old school, like kind of Star Wars esque, which I know would be a Joe Johnston you know, sure. connection. Yeah. And and everything. But it but it feels like, you know, those explosions in Star right, Wars. All right. Well, and there's something, I suppose, uh, you know, I mean, when we see Dum uh, Dum Dugan and and his team take the tank and they blast it or no, I guess it's not when they it's um, uh, when who's it Dernier who who picks up the gun. And uh, when he's talking to uh, Marita and Marita asked, do you know how to use that? And he and he blasts it and it takes out a whole corner of the building. That explosion is just an explosion like there's no blue in it. Um, so I guess to that end, yeah, it's it seems to be, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time, Pete. Like when it's hitting people, that's when it seems to kind of do the blue, like you just disappeared in into a pile of uh, you know blue uh, puddle. But otherwise, explosions are just explosions. <laughs> that we had a we had a we head cannoned a the set to explode people switch <laughs> that right. must be on the weapon. <laughs> that there's a, a matter and organics switch that they're obviously flipping there yeah which means right. that all of the stuff on the factory floor for safety reasons is all just set on on matter set to, to matter not people yeah. uh, like it, it inactive right yes yeah dormant <laughs> i think that works i think that works <laughs> can i just say just a note on the production design the best shot for me in this entire thing is at 19 when there are two little guys who are running up the stairs and you have the concentric ovals going back into the perspective i love that so much it is irrational like i want that as a poster yeah i i, I just scrubbed that i was ready to come talk about minute 18 to 20 or second 18 to 20 of this minute i, I scrubbed <laughs> yeah. to that oh. exact point uh so that's, i am 100 with you pete that something about the visual aesthetic that we get uh you know the amount of care that's taken to you know compose this shot and to design this look of you know i i don't know what i'm actually supposed to be looking at but it's so cool yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's like it's like structural you know, buttressing of the yeah. of, of the factory. But it's it's one of those things that you feel like I I knew this this place where the camera is sitting. I knew it always existed in this place, but they had to really hunt to get it just right. You know what I mean? And I know most of this is not is is not is manufactured, but it is so perfectly foundational to this space and and gives us a completely different look like they absolutely could have moved the camera down into the right and given us yet another great big grand view of the entire space but to put it up in this corner is just elegant and it just shows such a, a neat sense of kind of cinematic finesse uh in this big explosion thing i i love it i love it i love it yeah i don't know exactly what the concentric circles are but they are visually yeah. appealing uh just to have them there and our heroes running toward you know it feels like we're we're moving up into that space right well it creates an interesting like flying buttress sort of 
um, look that they would have incorporated into their kind of construction for this space, which is interesting. And, and when we saw it from the exterior, it did like the front of the whole building did kind of lean in almost like a pyramid. So it would make sense that they have some sort of buttressing like this to kind of support that. And it's just, but it is, yeah, it's such an interesting shot. And I made a note of it too. I, I love how it's not just the fact that we get this wide shot as the, as the two of them are running up the stairs, but even as you look like all the way down the length of it, you can see how the firelight is playing through the uh, the gaps between them. And I think that's it's such an interesting design that they went to such lengths to kind of create like that. You know what it is? It's the same reason. <laughs> this, this is a throwback. I love this for the same like irrational reasons that I love Stromberg's undersea uh, lair in Spy Who Loved Me. Like that big <laughs> octopus thing with all the round curves and the legs that came up when it rises up out of the sea. Like, I think it's that same sort of like we can do things that feel substantial and look beautiful and also are supremely organic and that and and are functional. Like this is a, a giant manufacturing facility of evildoers. And yet it's still it, it still has some organic beauty to it and i i think that's that's a nice touch uh, well and i think it shows the care and the craft like this is literally on screen for three seconds three yeah. seconds that we get this yeah. angle that's going to oh, yeah. show us those concentric circles uh you know and the fire escapes where they are and the explosions in the background they took the time to go get that shot for this three seconds of screen time i i get obsessed with shots like this from you know talking about animation and animated movies because they have absolute control over the camera in this case like joe johnston's looking at this set up and he says i want the camera there where no human has ever or would ever stand and look at something right you know i I want this camera angle to not be an angle where somebody might see something i want this to be some sort of omniscient perspective yes where you know the viewer is in a place where you couldn't be and and some movies never have a single shot like that some movies are just from a very human perspective and doing this weird positions like i mean and then he had to figure out like someone had to figure out how to like put the camera up in that spot yeah to to you know to film that for three <laughs> seconds it's like it's a weird choice but it's really great and and i i always enjoy like appreciating those kinds of things there is an interesting relief uh the, using this sort of shape inside of shape inside of shape like if you scrub ahead again to see to second 26 we're over cap shoulder and we're looking at the door through which Zola and Schmidt are are entering the scene mm-hmm. and you can see yet again there the door frame is nested rectangles right. like going in 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 I was going to I was going to bring that up cuz I had I had scrubbed ahead to about 35 36 cuz I think that's maybe the 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 perfect shot to encapsulate this minute oh, because yes. you can see that in in like the top left corner yeah. but then you have the the balance of the two figures walking out to the catwalk you have one figure on each side staying back from the catwalk um you can see that there is the exit and so clearly schmidt is the impediment to cap and and bucky leaving right like they are in their way you know they are the obstacle between them and what they're what they're seeking we're slightly like on cap's side so we're seeing like steve's back a little bit and so like we know it's like well this is the guy that we're on his side like we're literally on his side he is our hero and then our opponent is facing towards the camera and all that sort of stuff like it's 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 a great shot it's a great just like moment of of you know 
the shot composition. What's it called? Mise-en-scene? Right, right, right. Yes, mise-en-scene. <laughs> what do you think are the most iconic uh, fights on either narrow bridges or catwalks over chasms or explosions of some sort? <laughs> well, my brain instantly goes to Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I instantly went to Empire Strikes Back. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, and Force Awakens. You could throw that in there. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I did not immediately think of it, but that's a good one. Uh, Gosh, what Hmm. other ones? Um, It feels like there's a lot more that I can't name, but they're there. (laughs) You know, I'm going to say I'm going to say a recent one, which is the Batman. The the fight's not really a bridge, but it is the circular kind of uh, display stuff at the very end. He's on the catwalks and he's. Yeah, he's he's like on top of the jumbo. He's on top of the jumbotron. That's the word. Yeah, Uh, I, I really enjoyed the brutality of that one. You also have Lord of the Rings. Oh mm-hmm. yes, I yeah. shall not pass. I, you know, one of one of uh, Pete's and my favorite sites is uh, TVTropes.org, and they mm-hmm. list all sorts of tropes. And I was oh, just yeah. looking up. I just quickly typed in confrontation on bridge, and it, it came up with a number of to- tropes. Take it to the bridge, rope bridge. You shall not prat. You shall not pass. <laughs> so there are clearly a bunch of different types of of bridge tropes that pop up in in uh, film and TV and all sorts of media. So. Unfortunately, TV Tropes has 13,000 responses, and we thought of four. So <laughs> it, it works to give like an immediate sense of danger and also intimacy. Uh, you, you're, you're simultaneously getting a grand scale and an in- intimate scale, I think, uh, with, with those kinds of fights. And there's the inherent danger of either side. Uh, we, we have opposing goals of like, we got to go through one another. So visually, like it works to just kind of set the stage and the stakes so quickly. I think that's why there are thousands and thousands of examples, according to TV tropes that people can, can identify. Um, and, and so, yeah. um, you know, I'm not surprised to see it here. And this one definitely works. But um, there's also like the little pause of where I'm like immediately do start to think about like I've seen other fights on <laughs> catwalks or small bridges. Yeah, yeah it is definitely a thing. It, definitely it, a thing. I, I like this one. I, I really resonate with the word intimacy that you dropped there, because like this one sets up not only our hero and villain, but it also sets up our seconds. Right. Like mm-hmm. it sets up Bucky and Zola as the two guys. But this bridge is so narrow that both literally, practically and metaphorically, the seconds will be no support. This has to be a fight between just mm-hmm. these two guys. There are no there's like Indiana Jones. There's no like uh, massive group who's after him. No tribes, people who are running running and blowing darts like there's it's uh like it is just the idea of these two guys not right now because of where we are in the movie but eventually it's just going to be these two guys and i i like that there's something uh interesting about that too and uh, you know part of it i i I think there was a little something there that i kind of wish like bucky would have like i feel like i mean bucky and zola obviously have been uh together before zola last saw him lying on the table in his experiment room before he ran out and cap ran in and so he literally had just been looking at him moments before it would have been great moments to have just a little uh you know cut between the two of them as they kind of look at each other uh you know we we don't need it but uh, obviously this this is a chance for us to really have the first confrontation, the first moment that uh, Steve and Schmidt have on screen together. So that's really the focus of our attention. But I, I kind of would have loved to have a small acknowledgement between the two of them um, as the seconds and mm-hmm. the fact that they can't get out on the bridge to do anything either. Right. That would be really great because like, there's definitely an implication throughout other films that Zola did experiments and that's one of the reasons that Bucky is the way that he is like experience that happened by this point in this movie 
contribute to like Bucky's survival and, and, you know, his future in the MCU and everything. And so just seeing a shot of Zola, like looking at Bucky and recognizing like something's making it out of this lab that is supposed to be not right. Like he probably expected was supposed to be mm-hmm. left behind. Right. <laughs> yeah. He was expecting Bucky to get blown up in the lab and he's like, Oh, okay some of the science and technology is not getting low right. <laughs> but also the uh i don't want to fight that man because he may yeah. <laughs> like, uh, i know i know what i just yeah, did sorry. to that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and having bucky seems like you were experimenting on me yeah right exactly like uh, yeah I, you were you just had that those needles in my arm or whatever it was that he was doing and so yeah there's there i, I think some acknowledgement would have been interesting there I wonder what Steve is trying to do as he's like running around in here. Obviously, he doesn't have like directions, but he has made it in uh, and found Bucky. And what we've been getting a sense of kind of this very strong sense of direction that he has developed as part of the the uh, the uh, modifications that they have made to him. But now it seems like he's running around like not sure where to go. He comes down the steps. He and Bucky actually come down the steps to this the, the level before they the explosion um, uh, goes off and then they run back up. And uh, that's when they end up confronting uh, Schmidt and Zola. And so it was kind of odd that they kind of go go down first and then back up. Um, it's like, wouldn't they have then seen uh, Zola and Schmidt as they were all up on that same floor together, apparently? But I, I'm not exactly sure exactly how it's how it is laid out and why he's running up in the first place when it seems like I mean, I know there's fire down below, but you'd think that there's probably some side passages or something that he could get into. I mean, even back from wherever he just got Bucky from, they probably could find a, a safer way out than let's go to the top where, where it's all this smoke. Uh, and, uh, you know, we won't worry about the fact that we can't breathe up here. We'll we'll make it out somehow. Your comments have it just settled into my brain. It's like, Oh, it's a new, it's a new example of like the classic OSHA violation where the villains don't have guardrails <laughs> right. in their, in their buildings. Like they also don't have exit right. signs yeah. because if this was just up to code with the lighted exit signs <laughs> to guide anyone out in case of fire, it's like, oh there'd just be God. the green or the red sign pointing with an arrow exit this way. It's like, they'd be out. Is there, has anyone ever done a supercut of movies, but, have CG'd the exit signs back in because I wonder if that would be either the best or the worst thing to possibly see. Because like I, I I can't remember seeing a ton of exit signs yeah. in action. I don't movies. think I've ever seen an exit sign in an action movie. And there's always times where people are like looking for the way out of the building, and it's like, well, yeah. there's exit signs all all over the place, or like there's signs in case of fire, like next to elevators and stuff. There's always like signs that point to the exits. <laughs> like it's part of building code. Yeah, that's amazing. It uh, that would be funny to have them in here and then just clearly have the people never paying attention to them. Right. <laughs> well, their action stars can't actually see exit signs. Well, we know they're they have a peripheral br- vision problem, Pete. We already they know definitely that's have a peripheral thing. vision problem. <laughs> we, we can't find a way out, and they start going down a hallway, and it pans up to an exit sign pointing in the opposite direction. Way out this way, right? <laughs> um, do so. When do we get to talk about the punch? Before the punch, I just want to um, quickly do a little German translation. Uh, the German on the wall behind Schmidt uh, actually says... Exit this way. Is this the problem? <laughs> launching pad... Well, right. Exit this way. No, it says launching pad viewing platform, third floor, area 15. 
is that where they were actually going? That's that's where they are. Oh right no, now. that's where Schmidt was. He's in. So they're on the third floor. They are on the third floor right now. All right. So Bucky and Cap were going up to a fourth and fifth floor. No, well, no. I mean, they they ran down to the second floor. The explosion went off, and now they've run back up to the now third. Back floor. up to the third floor. Right. And so a lot of running. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's I just wanted to get that out there before we talk about the punch. But yes, now we've got this final confrontation. And I got to say, just as a note, I love the the line that Schmidt has as a as a dig with him. You know, first of all, I love your films. I think that's kind of a hilarious thing just to acknowledge. <laughs> I know what they're making you do. And it's not fighting. You're actually just a, a, a cheesy actor, which is hilarious. And then his little dig of not exactly an improvement, which I think is pretty funny. Right. Right. Well, it's it's the the real dig is before that. Captain America, how exciting. <laughs> He's meeting a celebrity. <laughs> it is it is great. It it plays that yeah. way. Like I there's something about the way that Schmidt is doing this the, and saying these lines that I, I think it's all meant to kind of dig at Steve and the fact that, you know, Steve might be this super soldier, but what they're having him do is perform in movies and just try to be an inspiration to uh the people in America and the troops, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. Yeah. It kind of gives an effect. He's like, I love that the Americans have an equivalent to me. And they're wasting him. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they can't even use their weapons. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. There's also an, a, an acknowledgement, I suppose, at this point that, you know, when we saw Schmidt see him on the monitors um, earlier in this uh, sequence that, I mean, this is really the first time that he has had proof that Erskine did actually manage to. Uh, create a super soldier and maybe not a whole army of them, but he did create one as he sees this, this actor, as he's kind of acknowledging here, who is actually taking on his whole set of troops uh, by himself and doing an exceptional job. And so, yeah, so I think that there's an interesting element here where he's also saying, you know, I, I see that Erskine did it. Um, and, uh, and, and this is that chance for the two, the two opposite sides of Erskine's experiment to come together. So, uh, yeah, so let's talk about uh, Steve and and his instant reaction to punching him. Um, is that because he has punched Hitler so many times that the very first thing he does is just punch? It's like, this is my my go to move. I've been training. I've been training for this on the stage for. <laughs> this is what I've done this over two hundred times. I'm ready. <laughs> Do you think Hitler wears such a gloriously gigantic and swastika emblazoned belt buckle as big as? Schmitz. I wonder if that's the trigger. Is his Hydra belt buckle? Yeah, his Hydra belt buckle. It's amazing. And there's also lots of snaps on what he's wearing. Like, and the yeah. buttons aren't in like normal places. This feels like you need help to get into this yes. outfit. Yeah, it takes a team. It takes a team. So my, I have a significant problem with this, and I can't shake it in my brain. That yeah. It is a combination of blocking. It is a combination of makeup. He punches him in the center left side of Schmidt's face, mm-hmm. and the makeup distortion is on the right eye, and I don't care for it. And also, Schmidt grabs his right cheek. Yeah, right. <laughs> why is that? Why does that hurt, man? Uh, doesn't it? Shouldn't hurt. And I, I can't let. Every time I see it, I can't let it go. Here we go, Andy. Please. Tell me how you rationalize this particular quibble. The only reason, the, the only way that I can rationalize it is that when he swings and punches, that he that he he doesn't punch, you know, 
it forward enough. So when he actually punches, he actually misses the left side of Schmidt's face and crosses his nose and ends up kind of grazing across the right cheek. Okay, so so he like gets the right cheekbone a little bit. Yeah, so right. So he kind of just hits him on his right cheekbone as his hand is passing by it. I was going to say that he's not holding his right cheek out of pain. He's just like trying to massage things back into place. He's like, oh, my, like my mouth is out of sync. Like my breathing's funky now. Um, and so it just like dislodged mostly to the right. But I understand the complaint and I had never thought about it before. I, oh my goodness. Scrubbing it back I and an forth. I am an island. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I'm with Pete on this. It, it's bothered me as well. Uh, <laughs> In, in the past and scrubbing it back and forth right now, it looks like it's a poorly executed stage punch mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of swings downward across the front of the face more than it's supposed to be. Like it, it just doesn't quite work when you're looking at it as closely as we do in this podcast, which in theater it's true. you don't do. And so you understand how it ends up in the film and most people will never have this discussion. Yeah, uh, right. But exactly. boy, when you look at it, do you start to see <laughs> Yeah, frame by frame, Schmidt's head goes down, then back the wrong direction. <laughs> it, you can see how, uh, you know, probably Joe Johnston's intentions were when you have that moment after the punch and you just see uh, Hugo weaving the left side of his face and he's holding the right side. It gives us a chance to have the reveal as he raises his head up and reveals the eye looking all funky. Um, mm-hmm. I can see him wanting to stage it, the punch that way, just so you get that that interesting reveal with the way the mask is kind of pulling there. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it, I, you have to really stretch the whole thing to say, yeah, he he cross punched him and he ended up grazing the right cheek instead of actually <laughs> nailing him on the left, which doesn't make any uh, sense. Yeah, really, yeah, that barely barely tracks. <laughs> no, I know. I will. I will say the mask shifting when he lifts his head up. Like that moment works so well, I immediately forgive the yeah. punch because <laughs> it is a very cool moment. Oh, yeah. And I almost yeah. wish we didn't have the close up stinger of the face that comes closer to the end of this minute that really like makes the audience hyper aware. Oh, no, something's going very wrong with his face. I wish it had been left at that slight distance that we get with the first, uh, you know, a couple times that's there's like what like where you almost are like leaning in and saying what's going on with his eye. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I do. I do agree because you're right. Right at at 56, you know, we have that real close up of him and you can see how the eye is torn and uh, the the mask is torn. And it's it's it it is might be a bit much for the suspense of the reveal. Do you think I mean, I'm trying to remember the trailers for this. Did they actually reveal I have I'm going to pull the trailer up and scrub through it. I'm trying to remember if they reveal the red skull skull look in the trailer or if we only see Schmidt with his human mask on, because I, I I mean, obviously in the comics, he was always just red skull. And I mean, there was a point where he starts kind of putting a mask on, but there was this idea of this was just this character and that's how he looked. And in the, in the movie, it really seemed like they were purposefully hiding that so we could get a big reveal and which we do at this point. So it does feel like at this point, we're just, we're, it's designed for us to start kind of getting these hints because we know what's coming. I don't remember if, if Red Skull is in the trailer. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. <laughs> I think we're all frantically. YouTube, YouTube, go. While you're doing that, I'm going to talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. the 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 kick, like the pulling himself forward into the kick that that Steve gives. I I love moments like that where they're pushing it 
just far enough to be like, okay, because he's super strong, he can do a move like this. And if he wasn't Captain America, this is a dumb thing to do. This wouldn't work. (laughs) You wouldn't get this much altitude on it. And they do a lot more of that in the Winter Soldier, where it's like, these are not practical kinds of fighting motions for a person. But if you've got a little bit of extra strength and you're a little more durable, then you can do things that are a little bit different. And I love having that kind of fight choreography in this where he, you know, he does that kick, but he's also pulling himself forward and he launches himself off of the ground a little bit into a big kick that that launches the Red Skull, you know, absurdly far comic book far. That's another one that I think we don't like looking at it, not frame by frame. You don't quite see how weird it looks when he lifts himself off the ground while he's kicking you're you're absolutely right like mm-hmm. it's it looks it looks false but also captain america <laughs> yes uh, like those two things yeah <laughs> maybe maybe make sense they cancel each other out because he goes flying backwards <laughs> He does. It's, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, it's a great like clearly a a uh, wire rig sort of fly. Like the way that he does it, it, it he moves quite a bit. Um I do have confirmation in the trailer you do see this very moment. Well, actually the next minute's moment where uh where Schmidt goes to start pulling the mask off and and then it does that trailer like flash 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 a couple times as you see kind of what's happening before it cuts away to something else. So you get hints of the actual reveal mm-hmm. happening without fully committing. So, okay. Interesting. Um, I guess for an audience watching a superhero movie, regardless of the fact that it takes place during World War II, you want to establish some sort of creepy villain. And I guess this is, I guess this is uh, that moment. Creepy enough. You know, I'm looking at this kick and I, I wonder if this is part of the trope of like fights on bridges and catwalks and everything is you have got to use the space outside of the two dimensional plane that you're in because he kicks him high enough that if he had put a little bit sideways one side or the other, he could have kicked him off the, off, off the catwalk. Yeah. But he just went straight back. It's like, ah, oh, man, there is your chance. Well, is it though? Cause and I guess this speaks to like, you know, the world of superheroes like these. Cause I was wondering if this about captain America two uh, for later in the week, but it's like, if, if he or Schmidt happened to fall off of this, I mean, we, you know, you know, we'll get a sense that, you know, falling from a height isn't really a huge issue for Steve, probably isn't for Schmidt either. If they landed in fire, though, can they burn and uh, or, or would they be fine? Would they still kind of heal? OK, uh, so I guess um, maybe they both would end up being able to make it out of a fire, albeit, you know, a little a little more worn for the wear, but they could still survive. I mean, we we know they can lose consciousness. Yeah, we don't know if they can asphyxiate yeah right that's that would be the thing although i still weren't wonder about that up here you'd think there's enough smoke for all these people to pass out and die but <laughs> well that's the thing there should there should probably be a lot more smoke. i just think yeah. that there's a really strong ventilation system in here that they that they forgot to turn off in the process of blowing everything up <laughs> that's that's what the uh concerned circles are it's a natural uh, ventilation it's, mechanism. It's, it's like it's a dyson it's this whole thing was made <laughs> it, by dyson it, it, it generates it generates natural airflow yeah that's exactly what yeah, it is. And purifies as it goes through. Uh, right, right. Of <laughs> yes. course. Yeah. HEPA. It's HEPA. The air is actually better up here. It's <laughs> a HEPA factory. <laughs> it's terrible out in the forest where everyone else is, but here it's great. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Um, right, so, okay. So Steve punches first. He also goes for the gun. Is, is this because 
At this point, do you think that there's still a little bit of kind of a puny Steve sense as to how he's going about kind of confrontations and looking for easy ways out or things that he thinks are going to be the the quickest solution as opposed to uh, what he'll start doing uh, over the course of the story? Or do do, do you think much about like either of those things? Uh, I, I think it's, you know, part of the now very well-established tradition in Hollywood that anyone who is Nazi-coded can be punched and there's no, like, moral ambiguity about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. not the wrong move right. for Captain America to punch first <laughs> right. towards Red Skull. There's no honor between these two that needs to be recognized as they're right. doing the kind of, uh, you know, across the crosswalk, yes, but kind of the cowboy step into their spots to get ready for the fight. It's fine for Steve to go first on this. It's not a Han shot first sort of problem where it's like, oh, we don't want him. We don't want to make yeah. it look like he's bad. It's like, oh, but he's a Nazi. He can absolutely punch him first. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gotcha. But I, but I yeah. do wonder, like, they, they make a kind of a big visual deal of him losing the gun over the edge of the catwalk. Like, is that more significant, sort of a significance writ large in Captain America that he's going to start using the eventually the shield more as his projectile. Like we have a lot of cap with a gun and then kind of less like is that is should this moment mean more to to me? Um, (laughs) I don't I don't quite think so. Okay. Um, And and this is, you know, one of the first examples of him truly using the shield. Mm -hmm. Right. And it it providing some sort of protection. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I I love the World War II shield, like the shield shaped shield over the round yeah. shield. I'm a big fan of of this shield. Uh just aesthetically. I, I think like this Captain America costume is my favorite Captain America costume. We were talking about this and how that like this this half and half costume that he has here. It's like no one uses this as cosplay, but more people should because it is a very cool blend of of kind of both worlds. You got kind of a little bit of that theatricality of that original costume that he was using on the stage, but also but you're putting these kind of actual elements in it from uh, from the conflict and it makes more sense. And there's something really kind of gratifying about that. It also looks really good when bathed in a warm firelight and sort of particulate <laughs> air. It, it adds to the effect. Mm-hmm. Do you think he remembers that? And like later in life, he just sits by the fire in this outfit. <laughs> can, you, can you cosplay that? It looks good in this. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the, the gun, though, like he is. So Captain America is going to have the roles, you know, as Captain America uh, of um, propaganda tool, soldier, hero. Right. And I think the right. gun is for when he's in this soldier mode. Uh, and when we get to Captain America superhero, that's when it's round shield protector more so than the aggressive gun. Yeah. Well, and I, I totally agree with that. And that's what I was wondering about this moment. Like, should this moment signify the beginning of that transformation of uh, soldier to superhero. Mm-hmm. Well, I think mentally, I think this is uh, the first time he actually is starting to go through that process. He came here because he wanted to be a soldier. That was his whole motivation from the beginning. He doesn't want to just be collecting sc- scrap metal like Timmy. He wants to actually be in the fight, stopping Nazis. And this is his chance to come over and actually soldier. But here, he also now has run into Schmidt, who also is uh, has been infused with the super soldier serum. And this is that moment where, like, he, 
a gun isn't going to help him here. He has to start acknowledging that I have these superpowers. This is where I need to start using them. And I mean, he'll be, he'll, you know, when he's not fighting Schmidt later in the film, I mean, he'll have other uh, means of attacking. But at this point, this is that moment where there is a visual acknowledgement for us, the audience saying, you know what, this is super superhero versus supervillain and guns aren't going to help. Yeah, I get that. But I and and I think that that just sort of amplifies my my thinking on it, which is like he realizes you're right. I'm I'm a superhero against a supervillain and I need to level up my heroing game. Yeah. Simple lit, little guns won't do the job. Of course, he's not going to get to do much <laughs> at this point, yeah, right. at least because uh, uh, Dr. Zola has other things in mind. I, I do think it's very funny that the what Dr. Zola decides to do is like, screw this. This place is going down. We need to get out of here. Stop screwing around, uh, Schmidt. <laughs> let's let's vacate. And he reaches for the catwalk controls, which is, yeah, uh, I think it's very funny. It, well, we'll talk about that a little bit more next time because there's actually, in the script, there was a little more between uh, him and, and Schmidt about that decision. All right. Uh, any last thoughts from uh, from any of you about this minute? Uh, no, I, I mean, for, for me, I've, I've, I've covered all my notes. We do get a little more catwalk time in the next minute. So any oh, yes. final thoughts on mm-hmm. that? We can we can cover tomorrow. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I, I'm good on this minute as well. All right. Uh, well, uh, both of you, uh, it's been a thrill having you here to chat with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Of course. Uh, remind everybody uh, where they can find you on the Internet, uh, what you're up to, all that good stuff. Andrew, do you want to go first? I, I was going to let you go first because you have so much more, but <laughs> I'll go first and then you can you can rattle off the uh, the big list. Uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials is is my primary podcast that I do with my wife covering Disney movies one minute at a time. Uh, but then crossing into Joe's territory, I'm the producer on the protagonist podcast of which Joe is the host. Yes. And on the protagonist podcast, each week we talk about a great character in a great story. And it is an eclectic mix from one week to the next. You, you won't know what character uh, we're going to be talking about next. And we rotate through. Uh, films and TV shows and novels and comic books for that podcast. And then I also have done um, some academic work on superheroes and some movies and TV shows. And I believe a link to my Amazon author page is going to be up uh, with the, in, in the show notes for this, uh, where you can go see some like essay collections about superheroes I've edited, or I wrote a book about the X-Men comic books, co-authored a book about Frasier and one about Cheers. So a uh, few things like that uh, if you're into pop culture studies. Fantastic. Yeah, I think on Protagonist Podcast, you're talking about, or I, I think I just saw you do a Sleepy Hollow on there. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's It'll cool. be like yeah. some sometimes classic canon text, sometimes, uh, you know, more modern superhero comic books. Uh, you know, any, anything's fair game for that podcast. That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, well, uh, we definitely appreciate both of you joining us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 62. Uh, Pete, thanks as always. I'm a great fan of your podcasts. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Until next time, true believers. <laughs> Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>